What is up, YouTube? Welcome in to episode number two of Midday with Trey and BK 2.0 here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Trey, I was so confused on what to say because, well, we have done now three. This will be our fourth show together here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. But, of course, the first two we did were in the morning, so I don't know if I can count those as middays with Trey and BK. I think it counts. I mean, I think if we really wanted to, we could go back and find the final count of the old radio show and then the YouTube show that we've been doing for almost a year now and then add all of those in to the four episodes that have happened on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Quick question, BK, because I've gotten to see the uh, the countdown uh, video and, also, and music as well several times at this point throughout the course of this week leading into these live episodes. Is that the longest zero count that exists on the internet right now. <laughs> and I'm ready to go. And then I feel like it's five to 10 more seconds before we're actually on. I'm pretty sure the entire length of the clip that plays is a minute and 10 seconds. So I think you're right. I literally think it stays at zero for 10 extra seconds. So you get a 60 second countdown and then for another 10 seconds, you just have to stare at that screen that says zero. And then all of a sudden it's kind of suspenseful, right? You never know exactly when uh, that's going to go away and our faces are going to pop up. So it uh, does create a little bit of anxiety, but also suspense for when we're actually going to start this thing. So it's a little bit like a soccer match then where that uh, final count matters very little. It's when we decide <laughs> to actually go on. Yes, we have like anywhere from 7 to 13 seconds of stoppage time <laughs> added to the end of that countdown at the start of every show. Uh, we're going to have some fun today. We're taking you live until 1 o'clock. We'll talk some Texas Longhorn football. Steve Sarkeesian was a guest on the Late Kick show with Josh Pate. We've got some audio and video of that as well. Phil Mickelson, yes, lefty, apparently doing his best Pete Rose impersonation in recent years. We'll talk about that. Also, Bucky and I had the chance to speak with Ricky Williams yesterday morning. If you missed that conversation, check out the podcast either right here on YouTube or on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts so you can hear that conversation. But Ricky said something very intriguing about hazing in football. Obviously, with what went on at Northwestern and what came to light over the last month, that's been a big topic of conversation among sports fans everywhere. So we'll play what Ricky had to say about hazing and kind of give our thoughts about that. And then Trey, apparently, and where are we at in society today, you're telling me that my favorite restaurant is in some hot water. That's right. Taco Bell facing a lawsuit having to do with their meat, BK. Mm. And I think you might be interested to hear about this one because I feel like there are a number of Taco Bell menu items that are listed within this lawsuit. I feel like I've heard you speak highly of at least a few of these. So I want to get your thoughts and well, perhaps because we're talking about Taco Del, uh, Bell already, I also have another great moment in excrement history <laughs> that I need to fill you in on. Is that going to be a bit on this show? Great moments in excrement history? I mean, some things fit like that OJ glove, right? I think that fits perfectly with this show. Uh-oh. I haven't been taking my arthritis medicine, so I don't know if it's going to fit. A little nervous here. <laughs> Oh, man. Also, we are awaiting the decision of five-star edge rusher Colin Simmons. 
we don't know exactly what time he's going to make his announcement. If it happens while we're live, obviously we'll stop what we're doing and talk about that. Uh, one of the top players in the country, the number one player in the state of Texas for the class of 2024 is expected to make his commitment today. Texas, one of the three finalists, along with LSU and Miami. Obviously, this would be a massive, massive get for Sark and company. So, yes, if that news does drop while we are on the air, we will uh, shift gears and make sure we give you the latest on Colin Simmons. I believe that is supposed to be around 3 o'clock Central Time, that announcement today. But it's interesting to see a lot more people feeling good about the Longhorns' chances of landing the number one recruit in the country and not just on the Texas side, by the way, like we love our guys over at uh, inside Texas and horns 24 seven. And uh, it's good to see them optimistic about this, but to see that the LSU side now thinks that Texas will likely land his services. Hopefully it's uh, another one of those good day to be a longhorn moments in recruiting. No doubt about that. Yeah, this would be a huge domino for that 24 class. We'll see what happens. And yeah, I think two o'clock is what I've seen the most in regards to the Colin Simmons decision. But uh, it seems like he's one of those guys that literally could just announce at any time. And he tweeted something 34 minutes ago that said, this commitment edit finna break the internet. So he's building up the hype for his own commitments. And look, he's got three fan bases on pins and needles trying to figure out what he's going to do. It's starting to take that uh, Titanic turn, though, if you will. Not the ship, the movie, where I was starting to hear way too much about how incredible Titanic was to where it was a little bit underwhelming when it actually happened. You can't say that you're going to break the internet. Just let it break the internet. Because if you put that out there, then inevitably it's not going to break the internet, BK. Damn, you're bashing Colin Simmons. So now if he commits to LSU, we know exactly who we need to blame, huh? I'm just saying, you know, speak quietly and walk with a big stick as it pertains to your commitment video. Yes, that's uh, Colin Simmons' favorite president who uh, who said that quote, I believe. <laughs> oh, man. All right, let's start with the – let's start. We're seven minutes in. Let's talk about what Steve Sarkeesian had to talk about with Josh Pate yesterday. Since we're talking about Colin Simmons, who plays defense, we'll start with Sark's thoughts on his secondary going into 2023. Take a look. Take a listen. If you thread the health needle and everything goes as you would love it to – what kind of unit could you have there overall? I really like our secondary. You know, when, A, I'll talk about Catalan first. You know, what a great addition to our team, never mind just our secondary. You know, he comes with the real intent every single day. Um, he's very mature. He's very meticulous in his approach. The passion is there. The communication is there. Um, and then the playmaking is there. And I, I think obviously there's a level of physicality to his play that you have to have at safety that he definitely plays with. Uh, but we're returning three starters there as well. And Ryan Watts, uh, you know, Jaron Thompson and Jade Barron. And Jade has been a fantastic player for us at nickel. Um, a guy who's been a playmaker in the run game, the pass game, creating turnovers. Um, but we have a lot of really good young players too. Terrence Brooks really came on uh, at the end of last season. We had an addition and it transfer in um, Gavin Holmes from Wake Forest, who was a two-year starter there. Um, you look at a couple kind of high-level recruits in uh, Derek Williams at safety, uh, Malik Muhammad at corner, and and then you you know Jalen Gilbo actually was starting ahead of Jade Barron last year before a season-ending injury, so he's back. Not to mention a lot of other faces. So I like the depth. 
I like the mix of veteran players and the leadership they provide, but also like some of the youth and the playmaking ability that they provide. Credit to Josh. Joe there. So what do you make of Steve Sarkeesian's comments about the secondary, Trey? I am excited about this defense on the whole, but I may be most excited about the secondary, even more so than that defensive line that looks like it is filled with studs and with a, an incredible amount of depth too. Just heard Steve Sarkeesian list some of the uh, big time guys who are returning this season, guys who are, uh, in that ball hawk category, Jaron Thompson is a great example of that, as is Jaday Barron. I know he's dealt with a uh, a small injury issue in fall camp, but hopefully it's not something that carries over into the season. And the X factor really is Jalen Catalan. I mean, if he can give you, gosh, I don't know, 10, 9, 10 regular season games and is healthy enough to make the sort of impact that he's capable of if and when Texas makes the Big 12 championship game or perhaps uh, even uh, loftier goals than that, a college football playoff spot, that would be huge for this football team. But regardless, I mean, you you have a mix, as Steve Sarkeesian just talked about, of guys who have really proven themselves over the last few years, Ryan Watts in that category, even Gavin Holmes coming over from West uh, Wake Forest, and guys who re really are starting to figure it out too. Like, I am on the Terrence Brooks train right now, BK, and I was critical of him last year, as a lot of other people were. He had a couple of really bad coverage busts being forced into action as a true freshman and just not understanding what his responsibility was, where Anthony Cook was coming over and chewing him out for essentially allowing a, a long touchdown on a couple of different occasions. But then the bowl game happened, and I realized Texas lost that game, but there were all, always silver linings in moments like that. Jonathan Brooks, we saw what was happening in garbage time apply against a first-team defense against the team that ultimately beat you. Jonathan Brooks looked great in that game. Terrence Brooks also had a really good bowl game, too, and I think he's going to continue to build on that and uh, really show us uh, why he was considered a five-star prospect coming out of high school. Yeah, I want to go back to Jalen Catalan for a second. I mean, this dude's a freaking stud. Like, first-team All-SEC in 2020. He was a preseason second-team All-American in 2021. Phil Steele had him as a first-team All-America going into 2022. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Like that's been the biggest issue for the last couple of years for Jalen Catalan. Honestly, if he had stayed healthy, he wouldn't be at Texas because he'd be in the NFL. Like that's the type of talent we're talking about. Injuries are the only reason that this guy is even on the 40 acres, but the talent is absolutely there. And if Jalen Catalan, like you said, can stay healthy, I would love to have him for all 12 plus hopefully a big 12 championship game plus the bowl game and then get 14 games out of Jalen Catalan. But yeah, if you told me that uh, you can get nine or 10 out of that dude, then this Texas defense can be even better than it was in 2022. But I have to, I have to temper my excitement with him, man. Yeah. Like I know how freaking good he is. And I was pumped when he committed to Texas from the transfer portal a few months ago, but it's just the injury thing. It scares me. And it's such a fine line with Jalen Catalan. Cause I'm sure Sark and PK want to tell him like, dude, like just maybe you don't have to go balls to the wall and try to decleat everybody on every single hit yeah but that's what makes Jalen Catalan great like you know you're worried all right if you keep playing like this are you going to get hurt again but also it's like well this is how you play and that's why you were first team all SEC and that's why you were in that all-america conversation so it's tough man like uh Jalen Catalan's a monster if he could stay healthy this year yeah this defense is going to be good and that's going to go a long way into Texas being a legit contender in this big 12 and maybe contending for something bigger too. So he, he is the X factor. He could be the best player on this defense. 
if he's able to actually be on the field, Trey. A-Bull318 is asking, I wonder how Catalan compares to Huff's play style since he's been getting a lot of praise. So I come at this question as somebody whose favorite all-time defensive player is Michael Huff. He was so good at safety for Texas for several years, obviously one of the captains of that national championship defense. And I think they're slightly different players. Michael Huff is very capable in coming up and stopping the run, but I liked him a little bit more in coverage. If anything, like based on other safeties that he was playing with at that time, it might be a little bit more comparable to Michael Griffin, but he's a harder tackle uh, tackler than Michael Griffin even too. I'm not sure what the best comp is for a former Texas safety, but uh, if he can put it all together and stay healthy, Again, for nine or ten games, maybe. Then uh, he will put him in, himself in the conversation as, uh, in, in terms of single-season greatness at that safety position. Yeah, and if he does that, he could be a day-two pick in next year's NFL draft. Like That's just the type of talent that he possesses. and He's just got great instincts. I mean, he's a hard hitter. Yeah. Sometimes, Texas fans, this is the UTSD that you always talk about, Trey. When you hear that a guy's a hard hitter, you wonder, okay, but does he actually wrap up? No, like Jalen Catalan actually does wrap up. He's a good tackler as well, and he just has a nose for the football. Like, yeah. this isn't a Texas player, but this is a recent Big 12 player that I think of when I think of Jalen Catalan. It's another Jalen. It's Jalen Petrie with what he did at Baylor, where it just felt mm-hmm. like there were three or four Jalen Petries on the field every time Texas played Baylor. He's that good, and he had a great rookie year with the Texans in the NFL too, so it's translated so far to Sundays. But like just that type of player to where it's like, oh, man, that guy is everywhere, and he's filling up the stat sheet and even plays he's not making in the box score. He's right around the football just about every single snap. That's the type of player that Jalen Catalan was during his first couple of years at Arkansas, and hopefully that's the type of player he's going to be for this defense this year because he, uh, he'd be a joy to watch if that's the case. I wonder how much of that quality rubs off on some of those other young secondary guys. Obviously, dudes who are playing the safety position. You'd like to think that at least a little bit does, but a lot of it does feel like natural instincts, too. Like, we saw that out of DeMarvion Overshone from one of the first moments he set foot on the field for the Texas football program as a safety. And that even though he played the position in maybe a slightly unorthodox way, that's continued to translate over to the linebacker spot, too. Like, Jaron Thompson... Another guy who is very much a ball hawk in that secondary. Hopefully some of those other guys. And Keaton Crawford is probably the dude that I think most about with this. A guy who has immense physical potential but looked lost out there at times. Hopefully some of what they provide on the field and how they are so quick to get to the football and in the right place at the right time and also making those plays on top of that too because right place at right time is only half of that equation. You have to finish that playoff. Hopefully somebody like Keaton Crawford can really learn from both of those dudes. Yeah, I like that thought. I mean, this safety room could be pretty good, man. Catalan stays healthy. Jaron Thompson takes another step. You mentioned some of the depth that they've got. Derek Williams, who Sark talked about in that yeah. cut, another guy who's probably going to see the field this year. So uh, Texas has done well getting some secondary talent. And then the corners, you talked about them for a little bit. I mean, I like what Sark has done in the transfer portal. Obviously, Ryan Watts made a big impact last year. I expect Gavin Holmes to make that type of impact this year as a guy who started two games or two games, two seasons of major college football. So you've got some depth in that secondary. And I, I don't think I'm as high on it as you are, but I do realize the potential is absolutely there for that to be the best unit on this defense and one of the best units in the Big 12, too. And uh, that's that's what Texas needs, because when Texas has been bad over the last 10, 12 years, it's because they've just been getting picked apart in the passing game. 
uh, there's some decent quarterbacks in this conference. You can't you can't just be giving up huge chunk plays through the air time and time again like this team has done way too much in the past. Yeah, there are so many guys in the secondary who are good at coming up and helping out with the run. We've we've talked about them over these last few minutes, but one of the keys for them is understanding what their initial responsibility is and not get sucked into the line of scrimmage based on some play action because opposing coaches are going to realize how hard those dudes come downhill when they see that it's a run play. Yep, do your job, as Bill Belichick would say. Do your job. All right, let's flip to the offensive. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I could use some days off, honestly. Yeah, you and me both, my friends. I'm telling you. All right, let's flip over to the offensive side of the football. Here's Steve Sarkeesian on with Josh Pate talking about the wide receiver room for the Longhorns going into 2023. Do you have that receiver room where you want it now in year three? I really like that room. You know, at the end of the day, I, I think that we've put a lot on Xavier Worthy for two years. You know, and he came in as a true freshman. That There was a lot on his plate. Um, and he handled it and he took it and he had to know everywhere and move everywhere. Um, and there was a lot, and he played a lot of snaps and a lot of reps and Jordan Whittington as well. I think now with the, with the addition of AD Mitchell, getting in a healthy Isaiah Nair, who we missed last year, who transferred from Wyoming, uh, the addition of a Jonte cook, um, the, the, the kind of steady play of Casey Kane being back and then Deandre Moore, Ryan Niblett, we we've got a really talented room. I think one that where we can spread the field a little bit more one that where guys aren't feeling like, um, I have to be the one to make the play. And Xavier's got to beat double coverage every play because AD Mitchell's a good player. Jordan Winnington's a good player. Isaiah Nair's a good player. Um, you know, John Tay cook can be a player not to mention, you know, how are you going to defend JT Sanders? And so ultimately, historically for me, when, when we've had our best offenses, um, we've been able to deploy people across the field that, that make it difficult for you to kind of pin down and hone in on. Uh, and in turn, the ball can get spread out when the quarterback knows to go with it, go with the ball. Uh, guys can make plays in space because they're getting those one-on-one matchups. Trey, I was telling Bucky earlier today that the thing, the number one thing that excites me about this Texas team going into 2023 is the wide receiver room. And Sark laid it out perfectly there. Just so much talent, so much experience. You've got some championship pedigree too with A.D. Mitchell coming in from Georgia. It feels like this Texas wide receiver group checks every single box. And forget just the Big 12. It's got a chance to be one of the very best in all of college football. Yeah, BK, and uh, speaking of the secondary from a few minutes ago, iron sharpens iron. So both of these uh, highly rated units going up against one another every day in fall practice is hopefully only going to make each better. And I love this idea that there isn't any one guy that opposing defenses can focus on because if you stop Xavier Worthy, there's a good chance that you're going to get burned by one of three to four to five other dudes throughout the course of a game. So it really does become a pick your poison situation. And that's before we even start to factor in what Jonathan Brooks is going to be capable of at the running back position too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking at the stats from last year. Xavier Worthy led the team with 760 receiving yards. And usually a successful season for a wide receiver is 1000 yards. I wouldn't hate it if Texas had a guy or two guys get over that thousand yard mark, but I also wouldn't hate it if that doesn't happen because that would mean Quinn Ewers is spreading the ball to everybody. And that would mean that Texas has a good wide receiver room. Like, I don't, I don't think this is going to be a Tom Herman situation. I think it was his first year here when, when Colin Johnson was here and Devin Duvernay was here 
And just it just felt like for the sake of rotating guys, Tom Herman was ro- uh, rotating guys in that wide receiver room. And in like big moments, Colin Johnson wasn't on the field. And it's like, what the hell are we doing? And Tom Herman's just like, oh, we're trying to keep our guys fresh. And it's like, dude, there's such a huge drop-off between Colin Johnson and Kai Money or whoever the hell you're trying to throw on the field here. No offense to Kai Money. That was a Dr. Random, Kai Money to you. That's a random straight. Yeah, well, he's not going to be my doctor after I just shat on him right there. So, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that, Kai. But, yeah, it was just like, what are you doing? Well, this year, like, I think – Sark is going to be able to do that. Now, look, I, I still think there are tiers within this Texas wide receiver room, but there's just so much depth that, okay, even if one of the top two or three guys is off the field, you still feel really good about one of the guys who comes in there. Like, oh, okay, we're going to give Whittington a couple of plays off. Uh, sucks. Oh, wait, no, we're replacing him with five-star Jonte Cook. Like, awesome. Like, that, the talent and the depth is absolutely there for Texas. So, yeah, even if one specific guy doesn't have a statistically great season this passing game can still be really, really effective for the Longhorns this year. It most definitely can. I hear people talking about Jatavian Sanders' numbers going down ever so slightly this year, specifically those catch totals, which, of course, he set a UT tight ends record last year, but the catches that he is making having more of an impact on the outcome of the game because, remember, there were a couple moments last year, BK, where Jatavian Sanders was running wide open over the middle of the field. And for one reason or another, sometimes it was Quinn Ewers just missing his throw. There may have even been one or two Jatavian Sanders uh, drops as well that uh, that catch wasn't being made. But if he does make that catch, because he is already working with so much empty space in front of him on top of his athletic ability and how difficult it is to bring him down, those are the sorts of plays that, that will completely... Uh, dismantle a defense, could lead to a score, but also uh, leaves a defense just really scratching their heads and not knowing what to do at that point because they're putting too much focus on the outside. Yeah, that guy's a matchup nightmare, right? JT Sanders might honestly be the best pass catcher that Texas has. And you look at mock drafts for 2024, you're seeing JT Sanders' name pop up in the first round in a lot of them. Like this, He's a freak of nature athletically. He's got that size that you look for in a tight end. He's fast enough to get open and he can make guys miss when he has the ball in his hand. So he is a matchup nightmare, and he is a guy that opposing defenses have to game plan for. And you're right. I mean, that's it's pick your poison. If you're a defensive coordinator going up against Texas this year, because you can't just hone in on trying to double-team one guy because, well, you've got four or five other guys who can beat you. So I talked about not caring about stats too much with wide receivers. Quinn Ewers needs to throw for at least 3,000 yards. Honestly, 3,500 or more should be the goal. He, he barely cracked 2,000 last year. Now, he was hurt. He only played in like nine games and a quarter, but still. I mean, Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman, had over 4,500 last year. I don't know if I'm expecting that from Quinn Ewers, but like he should be in the three to 4,000 range easily this coming season with all of the talent that he has around him, with the offensive line in front of him, with the offensive mind that is Steve Sarkeesian. Like, that is a number to me. That really matters, Trey. But that, once again, is a number that should be very easy to attain because of all the receivers and pass-catching threats this team has. That is an extremely fair expectation, BK. And one of the things I'm going to be really looking for with Quinn Ewers is him cutting down on those Brock Purdy at Iowa State-esque turnovers, which, if you remember, even going back to that Texas OU game, as great of a game as that was, he had one of those in that game, too, where after the game, Steve Sarkeesian 
was wondering if maybe he hit a, uh, a camera wire above him, but it turned out to be just a really bizarrely bad throw that Oklahoma was able to pick off. There was another example. I think it was in the Baylor game, maybe, where he's trying to escape pressure and he just lets the ball go and a, a Baylor defender picks it up and Baylor flips the field deep in the Longhorns territory. Let's see him cut down on those two and really uh, turn that turnover, that touchdown to turnover figure into something of something more like an eight to one to 10 to one range because elite quarterbacks at the college football level uh, tend to operate more on those sorts of ratios. I kind of like that thought as well. Yeah, 15 touchdowns to six picks for Quinn Ewers in his first year on the 40 acres. Uh, expecting big thanks from him, though. And once again, he's got a lot of weapons at his disposal this year. All right, let's take a break and give some love to some of our sponsors. Trey, we'll start with audio-visual consultations. I'm sure you're excited to get home for a few different reasons, but one of those reasons has to be get back to your home TV setup that you've got from ABC. Yeah, you know, I've barely watched television since I've been here. I've watched a couple things on my computer, but the uh, home entertainment system in this multi-million dollar house, it doesn't cut it, PK. And I am especially spoiled because I do have that dream home theater set up in my home in Cedar Park. We also has, have an upstairs video game nook that was put together in the last couple of years. Those guys had the foresight when we were literally just putting a TV up there, just to have a television upstairs to say, hey, uh, we're going to put these ports into your walls so you're having to worry less about cables when the inevitable happens and you are starting to acquire video game systems. Sure enough, here we are two years later and uh, we are using all of those things and more. You know the quality of work. You've been to a Pluckers around town or maybe even around the state. And uh, there are plenty of people to vouch for the quality of work of audiovisual consultations that Tom McKay has been imparting on people for 35 years now, going all the way back to 1988. Find out for yourself. First, go to avconsultations.com to see the quality of work that Tom McKay can provide for you in your home or place of business. And then give them a call at 512-255-8678 for audiovisual consultations. Oh, McKay's getting old, man. 35 years. My goodness. Been around the yeah, block well, a time or two. And as we've talked about on my radio show over the course of this summer, that was after uh, some time spent in the uh, the Slammer in Dallas, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got some good stories from uh, back in the day. Yeah, Tom's a great guy to talk to. Shout out to AV Consultations for their sponsorship. And shout out to my friends over at the Altstadt Brewery as well. My favorite beer here in Texas it should be yours as well. They've got a bunch of different brews, something for every beer drinker out there. And every Altstadt beer is brewed with just four simple ingredients. There are no additives. There are no preservatives. There are no unnecessary sugars in any of the Altstadt family of beers. If you look at the ingredients in some big-name beer brands or even some other local brews, you're going to find some stuff that you don't want to find and stuff that you don't want to put into your system. Not the case with Altstadt. You can feel good about what you're drinking. It's a crisp, clean beer. That uh, tastes great. Most importantly, the taste is right on every Altstad beer. Give it a go. It is the official beer of Texas Sports Unfiltered. It should be the official beer of you as well. It's Altstad beer. No impurities, no regrets. Okay, Trey. Phil Mickelson. Are you a Phil Mickelson fan? He is one of the most polarizing golfers of this generation. And he's always been a little bit polarizing, but obviously over the last couple of years with his move from the PGA to live, and really the fact that he was a huge part of why Liv started in the first place, uh, he has gained a few more haters. Yeah, there was a point where Phil Mickelson was beloved. Like, nobody who followed or liked golf had a bad thing to say about Phil Mickelson, but that really has changed over the last five years. And 
that's probably the case for me too. Like I, you know, I was never like Gaga over Phil Mickelson necessarily, but there was a level of respect there. He seemed like a cool dude, obviously a really good golfer too, but I do have to admit that I lose a little bit of respect when I hear just how big of a gambling degen Phil Mickelson is revelations that have really uh, come to light over the last three to five years now. But I also think that he's maybe facing a little bit of unfair criticism based on the story that came out today regarding his gambling inclinations. Yeah. You and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum, my friend, because this story makes me think even higher of Phil Mickelson. I've always been a fan of lefty, but hearing how much of a degenerate gambler he is, <laughs> I love him even more. So yeah, here's some of the details that you were referencing. Uh, this is according to his former gambling partner, Billy Walters, who just put out a new book. And in this book, he talks about Phil Mickelson. And in particular, he talks about Phil Mickelson's crazy gambling habits from back in the day. Uh, here are some staggering numbers in regards to lefties gambling habits from 2010 to 2014. He apparently made a bet of $110,000 to win 100K 1,115 different times. So he made that bet 115 times. He also bet $220,000 to win 200K 858 times. He made 3,154 bets in 2011. Rookie numbers. Step it up, Phil. Uh, one day he placed 43 bets on MLB games. What the hell? Regular season Major League Baseball? Regular season Major League Baseball. So I guess he had, what, the winner, maybe the spread, maybe the total, maybe Nerfy, no run first inning. You could bet on whether or not there will be a run scored in the first inning of any baseball game. Like, you've got to have a combination of those because they obviously don't have 43 MLB games going on any given day. Insane. That is wild. And this guy, Billy Walters, in his new book, Gambler, Secrets of a Life at Risk. Sounds like an interesting book, by the way. Yeah. But uh, he says over the course of his relationship with Phil Mickelson, they gambled more than $1 billion on sports. $1 billion. Wow. In the span of five years. Yeah. And apparently, according to Walters, Mickelson lost at least $100 million. In that stretch. So didn't lose a billion plus, wagered a billion plus, but lost a hundred million, which look, Lefty's made a ton of money over the course of his career from his golf successes and his endorsements. That is still a shit ton of money, dude. Yeah, and I think the detail from this book that has more people's attention than anything else is the thing that I actually don't believe is that big of a deal. And that is him trying to place a six-figure wager on the 2012 Ryder Cup, which was a Ryder Cup that Phil Mickelson participated in. That might have been the Ryder Cup in Illinois, and if so, I was at that Ryder Cup. Mm. But people are freaking out. They're comparing Phil Mickelson to Pete Rose, but I actually have no issue with Phil wanting to place this bet because he was betting on the U.S. to win the Ryder Cup that year. That's as American as it gets right there, brother. I'm all for somebody showing that level of confidence in a situation like that. Now, it's maybe a different story, I guess, when you're talking about Pete Rose uh, betting on the Reds to win games in, uh, in the regular season in Major League Baseball back in the mid to late 1980s. 
But even then, I have less of a problem than that than him betting on his team to lose. Like, I think there are two very clear distinctions there. But Phil to want to put money on the U.S. to win the Ryder Cup that year, which, by the way, he would have lost that bet. Uh, I, th- there shouldn't be any issue with that. That is, that is Phil showing confidence in his team's ability to win. Yeah, apparently, according to this book, once Phil Mickelson placed that bet on the U.S. team in that 2012 Ryder Cup, he told the uh, teller, my pronouns are U-S-A. <laughs> and then he walked away. Well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you, dude. Like, I get why pro sports leagues don't want their players gambling, right? They want to preserve the integrity of the game. I understand that. You can call it hypocritical. I have called it hypocritical. Yeah. That during NFL broadcasts, we see dozens of commercials for DraftKings and FanDuel and yada, 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 yet the players can't get any piece of the pie from that deal, and they can't participate in anything that we all can't participate in. So I get it. There's a lot of hypocrisy involved, but I also get why the NFL doesn't want its players gambling. But, man. How much more entertaining would sports be, Trey, if players were allowed to bet on their own teams? I get it. You can't bet against your team. That sucks. I get it. You shouldn't be allowed to bet on other games not involving you because then you could easily throw it. But, man, imagine if every player in the NFL had $100,000 on their team to win every game. Like, I'm not questioning dudes' efforts. I know guys go 100% all of the time in the NFL, most of them. But it just feels like that would kind of give you some playoff intensity in the regular season if these guys were betting on their own teams to win because that would serve as a little bit of extra motivation to play well and get the job done. You know what? I'd like to see that allowed, but only if we could see on every broadcast the guys who have bet on their team to win. (laughs) They show a list and how much money they have on it. You got to make it public. It's like anytime uh, a member of Congress decides to uh, to do something in the stock market, they have to file that and it becomes public information. That needs to be made public so we can see the dudes that are really trying and maybe the dudes that aren't. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, man. That would be fantastic. There have been incidents in the NFL recently where I'm like, oh, that guy's clearly betting against his own team. So oh, I, yeah. I, and we found out, I mean, with all these players who have gotten suspended over the last year and change, clearly it's an issue that the NFL is trying to tackle, but I'm telling you, man, bet on your own team. That's, or if you're a player, you uh, bet on your own player prop bets. Like I'm going to hit all of these overs. It's like, all right, there's uh, there's your incentive to go out there and play a little bit harder, you know? Yeah. The NFL rules are ridiculous. Like you can't place a bet in the team facility, which okay, maybe, but you can't place a bet when you're on the road at your team hotel on the road. Like, come on. Why, guys. why, can't, why can't an NFL player bet on a college football game? I, I think that's ridiculous. I, I think that them not being able to place a bet at all when they are essentially on the road for a game that's happening at some point that weekend, like you can't sit there and profit to the tunes of hundreds of millions to billions of dollars on relationships that you're establishing based on legalized gambling and then sanctimoniously tell your players that uh, they, they need to be above this sort of thing. Like you are fueling the popularity of your league and profiteering off of legalized gambling. You need to loosen up with your own guys just a little bit more. Yep. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think you do make a compelling argument. Yeah. No idea. CB who uh, Hunter Decker's (laughs) betting on, he was betting on everything. It sounds like ridiculous story there. Shout out to you, Andrew. Thank you for the, uh, for the kind words too. Appreciate you guys jumping on board with Texas sports unfiltered. It's been a ton of fun through these first four days, Trey. 
Real quick, BK, I want to read an excerpt from these, this uh, Billy Walters book, yep. Gambler, Secrets of a Life at Risk, specifically about Phil trying to place this Ryder Cup bet. And by the way, Billy Walters, screw you for this story, or your part in this story, I guess. In late September 2012, Phil called me from Medina Country Club. So this was the, uh, the Ryder Cup in Illinois. I was, at this, uh, I was at the final day watching the U.S. collapse. Oh. Phil called me from Medina Country Club just outside Chicago, side of the 39th Ryder Cup matches between the U.S. and Europe. He was feeling supremely confident that the American squad, led by Tiger Woods, Bubba Watson, and Phil himself, was about to reclaim the cup from the Euros. He was so confident that he asked me to place a $400,000 wager for him on the U.S. team to win. I could not believe what I was hearing. Have you lost your fucking mind, I told him. Don't you remember what happened to Pete Rose? The former Cincinnati Reds manager was banned from baseball for betting on his own team. You're seen as a modern-day Arnold Palmer, I added. You'd risk all that for this? I want no part of it. Hmm. So unclear if the bet was ever placed. He says that that if the bet was made, it was never made through him. Wow. In the book. I bet Lefty found somebody to place that bet. It wasn't and just $400,000 too, unfortunately, for the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Walters was, uh, was right on his hunch maybe to not place that bet. Maybe not for the right reason, but his decision turned out to be the right one. Man. Okay, let's uh, shift gears here. But before we do that, we'll... Uh, got the ricky williams audio slash video to play from our conversation with him yesterday morning but before we do that i want to give some love to a couple of our sponsors sentextickets.com hey nothing illegal about buying tickets you can do that at sentextickets.com actually it is illegal to, to scalp in some places and there are a lot of scammers out there who can ruin your life you think you've got legit tickets from another site or from another person and you try to scan them at the gate, and boom, they don't work. Well, you don't have to worry about that with Sentex tickets because their tickets are 100% guaranteed, and they've got tickets to every sporting event out there, Longhorn games, Cowboy games, Texans games, Astros, Rangers. They've got you covered all year long, plus concert tickets as well, Austin City Limits Music Festival, Broadway shows. They've got it all on site at SentexTickets.com. Definitely go check them out. And also a shout-out to our friends at 7-Eleven, our guy Ish down at the Monterey Oaks location in South Austin. He's going to take care of you, but go to any 7-Eleven. They're your go-to convenience store for snacks, for drinks, for coffee, for whatever you want. They've got you covered. And make sure you download that free 7-Eleven app and get in on the 7 Rewards program. You're going to get hooked up with free stuff the more often you go in there to 7-Eleven. Go say what's up to our guy Ish, big Longhorn fan. But once again, just go to 7-Eleven to get everything you need to get through the summer here in the great state of Texas. I've got to meet this Ish. He seems like a great dude. Great dude. And he's been in the chat for a couple of the videos that we've done so far. So big fan of uh, what we're doing Big Longhorn fan once again, and yeah, a, a great dude who will talk ball with you every time you walk into his store. I, I got a kick out of him mocking his own uh, UT marketing account, I think it was, with uh, you and Bucky this morning and how that got him a 7-Eleven. Yeah. There-ish. Yeah, spent all this money on a degree from UT, and he just ended up owning a convenience store. Although that's that's pretty cool. I would love An Advertising to degree, that's what it was. I'd, I'd love to run a 7-Eleven, so I think Ish is, uh, is doing all right. Yeah, uh, yeah they'd make no money because I would drink every Slurpee they've ever had. <laughs> Be dangerous. Okay, Trey, uh, you you pointed this out to me. You wanted to play this. This was a uh, part of our conversation 
that Bucky and I had with uh, Ricky Williams yesterday. If you missed that, once again, check out the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find it right here on YouTube. But obviously, hazing has become a big topic of conversation amongst football fans with everything that's went on at Northwestern over the last few weeks. And, you know, Bucky asked Ricky Williams uh, about his thoughts on hazing and whether or not it's kosher in 2023. And Ricky Williams had some interesting comments about just that. Take a listen. This might be a little little risque, but I, I think when hazing goes too far and, and the wrong people are hazing, yes. I think it, it's, it's dangerous. But there is something about, and you see it in the military, you see it in contact team sports. There is something about when a group of guys come together and they're trying to accomplish something difficult that they want to have some kind of inner knowing that the people they're around are not going to run away when the bullets start flying. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and so, you know, and I think coaches kind of do their own form of hazing. I know the conditioning test and those first couple sure. of days, or either the way it used to be, there's those first couple of days of training camp, the, the first goal line drill. You're trying to weed out the ones that, you know, that aren't going to be aren't tough enough to make it. Um, so I, I think maybe the hazing in that sense, not the, the kind that goes overboard, but this right. true testing to make sure that everyone's on board. I think it's necessary for every for everyone to feel comfortable that I'm going to give my best. I want to know that the people around me are going to do the same. OK, so there's legendary lifetime Longhorn and Heisman Trophy winner Ricky Williams saying that, hey, a little bit of hazing. It's kind of necessary to get where you want to get as a football team. What say you, Trey? First of all, I always love hearing Ricky talk about things because much like you, me, and really everybody else who is on this channel right now, he doesn't make these bombastic statements about things. He tries to consider the nuance and also the other side, even when formulating uh, his own opinion on stuff. And I think there is a gray area here that is important to point out. Yes, there is a level of hazing that is no longer hazing, but straight up criminal, uh, physical, and in some cases, sexual assault, which is just awful. And it sounds like a little, at least a little bit of that was going on with the Northwestern situation. But you look at, uh, he mentioned the military. You look at what the Navy SEALs do to guys to basically test their metal to see if they are Navy SEAL material. They put them through something called Hell Week. And if you've ever read a Navy SEAL member's account of Hell Hell Week, you know just how awful it is. But they're putting them through that to make sure that they have the mental toughness to deal with even the most life-threatening situations and aren't going to completely fail their teammates, saying that to the Navy SEALs in the process. So there is a version of that that does exist in sports too that uh, does benefit the team. And I think it also benefits the individual too in helping them to understand that they can get through difficult situations. But again, when it crosses a certain line, it's no longer a form of team building. It's just guys being cruel to younger guys. And so I think one of the important things as we continue to talk about uh, instances that pop, uh, pop up that cost guys their jobs is is uh, coming to a consensus on what exactly that line is, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can't ask somebody to insert something somewhere into their body, right? Like something like that. That's where it becomes crossing the line. That's where Unless it becomes... Unless you're with her backup dancers, and then right. they right. need to insert that banana from the stripper's bonus hole. Yeah, that exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Thank you for being my... Uh, 
translator there, Trey. That's well done on your part. Yeah, there's there's got to be some sort of just like fight or flight testing. It's a big part of what the SEALs do, like you're talking about. And that, I think, is what Ricky Williams is talking about, too. Like, okay, you've got to create a situation that, hey, everything's kind of stacked up against you. And you've got to basically make a decision in real time uh, about what you're going to do. Like, are you going to be there for your brothers or are you going to turn away and, uh, turn away and quit? And that happens everywhere. NFL, college football, high school football, like any team sport, there's that type of testing that goes on just to make sure that, hey, you can trust the guys around you and the guys around you can trust you. So that's never going to go away. Now, some people, some of those activities, there are people out there who would freak out about that, Trey. And they'd be like, oh man, like you're, you're making your players run that much. You're making your players do this drill or that drill. No, that's inhumane. That, that's assault that you could have a criminal charge for something like that. Like There are people out there who would find even that stuff offensive, but I tend to agree with Ricky. Like that stuff is going to happen. And that stuff is, is important to making sure that you trust the guys around you in a sport, in business, in life, whatever, uh, that stuff's always going to go on, and I hope that continues to go on. And you know what? Even something as simple as running, even though that is maybe considered a form of mild hazing when you are punishing guys for not doing something correctly, there's also a line there, too, that we saw DJ Durkin cross several years ago that very sadly cost one of his players uh, his life, and uh, DJ Durkin lost his job shortly after that. As well, so you just have to be smart about it. You know, put guys through difficult situations, but don't do something that is going to uh, compromise that person's long-term physical well-being in the process, or mental well-being too, for that matter. Yeah, no uh, elephant walks are necessary for uh, <laughs> this type of team building that we're talking about here, Trey. Hard pass on the elephant walk, and I immediately regret using the word hard there. Andrew Martin uh, just asked, by the way, if Ricky was doing that interview from a yurt. I pointed that out on the midday show yesterday, too. I don't know what that physical structure is, but it was not your standard house that Ricky was broadcasting from. And uh, you also just talked about the flight or fight response, which is obviously something that has helped human uh, humans evolve throughout history. Did you know that there's actually a third? Res- this is not a joke, by the way. There is a third response that uh, that people will engage in based on a potentially perilous situation. So you either fight, you stand there and fight for your well-being. You flee if you are uh, if you understand that there is no way to win in a given situation. But the third response, BK is playing possum. There are a lot of people in high-pressure situations that are uh, potentially threatening will literally freeze up and basically fall on the ground and look like they're dead, much like a possum does when faced with a dangerous scenario too. That's not real. It, I, it is 100% real. What? I've never seen somebody freeze up, fall to the ground, and act like a possum. In a, any situation. Well, they're not acting like a possum. I mean, they're not making possum face when they do so. They're not going. <laughs> but they are falling down and freezing as if they are dead. Oh, uh, might have to cut up a little video of you doing that and have it as a drop for this channel moving forward. That was spectacular. Well, shit. Uh, people just freeze up. They just don't do anything. Okay, yeah. I guess I guess that part makes sense. I don't think I've ever seen anyone just completely fall to the ground, but it's a, hell, we're all victims of it at times where you're put in a tough situation, you've got to react right away, and it just like takes a few seconds 
for your brain to work and you just kind of end up standing there for a few seconds. So not to make light of this horrific tragedy, but the story that comes to mind for me based on a, a book that came out recently by Mike Glover called Prepare. He's a former uh, Army Ranger and uh, just a, a really uh, valuable resource in, in the uh, realm of preparation. But he tells a story in his new book about how the uh, Virginia Tech uh, shooting massacre that happened several years ago, there was an example of one person who once the uh, once the gunman entered the building and started shooting, they literally fell on the ground and just stayed frozen there, like not trying to do that. But that was that was their response versus oh. trying to figure out a way to either fight back against this person or, or figure out a way to escape the building. And they oh. ended up surviving as a result, too. So it's a response, much like with possums, that does uh, help keep a person alive sometimes. Man, that is a crazy, crazy story. Where'd you read that? This third, like just about this third fight or flight thing in general. I learned about it from this Mike Glover book, Prepared. He's, he's oh, a really okay. dude. Yeah, he told the story in the book because he was explaining uh, the value of, uh, of, going, of putting yourself through certain scenarios so that you can better gauge when to fight or flee. But then he also said, and this also helps you to avoid that third response, which leaves you as a, uh, a sitting duck, essentially, which is to just completely freeze up and not do anything. And by the way, com- obviously very apples to oranges situation here, but I've seen that out of producers and radio. Whenever something happens in radio that's like out of the ordinary and requires a certain level of uh, troubleshooting or problem solving to get things back on track, there are some people who start producing live radio that their response whenever the shit hits the fan, they don't do anything. They just sit there and they look around and their hands go up and it's like they're almost catatonic. And it's, uh, I guess it's a, a form of playing radio possum. Yeah, I've done that a few hundred times in my radio career. <laughs> a lot of it, though, was just I didn't want to do anything. Like, I knew what I was supposed to do. What my reaction? I was just like, I'm not doing this shit. So I'll just, I'll just freeze and hope nobody sees me. That that's bear's not, not going to. I'm not playing possum. That's indifference. <laughs> that bear's <laughs> not going to attack me. I'm not going to get fired. I'm just not going to do anything. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, man. All right, before we get to where we at in society, Trey, we were talking a little bit before we started today, and look, you're still on vacation. You're coming back to Austin tomorrow. You said you really miss your relax the back chair. They've got the hookup over there, don't they? BK, there are nice houses, as I've found out this week, that have serious flaws. So we've already talked about how the TV setup in this multi-million dollar house that we're airbnb in Breckenridge, Colorado, uh, does not fit the bill and it falls well below the standard set by audiovisual consultations. I've been broadcasting from this bar, uh, bar chair uh, in this house all week long uh, with you and with Bucky and then popping on with you and Kevin earlier in the week. This chair is wrecking havoc on my back and I cannot wait to get back to my home studio because not only am I more comfortable in my home studio, but Maybe even more importantly, I have a phenomenal relax the back uh, office chair that was won at the Mullet Open a couple of years ago by my brother. He charged me a couple hundred bucks for it. Best couple hundred bucks that I've ever spent on a piece of furniture. Uh, we will be back in Austin tomorrow evening. First thing I may do when I get home is just go sit in that chair because it makes my back and entire body feel so freaking good. There you go. Go see our guy, Jason Caldwell. There's a testimonial right there. Two Austin area locations, one at 183 and 360 next to Whole Foods, the other at the Hill Country Galleria. They've got stores in DFW, Houston, San Antonio as well. You can look 
more or look for more online at relaxtheback.com. And a shout out to our friends over at Woods Comfort Systems. How's your plumbing, Trey? Uh, plum- <laughs> Boy, that's a question that I could take in a couple of different directions. The home plumbing is okay right now, BK, but if we ever have an issue, I know who I'm giving a call. There you go. Woods Comfort Systems celebrating 60 years of providing top quality plumbing and HVAC services. Yes, they do plumbing, but they also can fix your AC. If you've got issues with your AC right now in your home, hit up our friends at Woods Comfort Systems because they're dedicated to keeping you comfortable in every season. Their goal continues to be to provide exceptional HVAC and plumbing services all throughout Central Texas. Check them out online at WoodsComfortSystems.com or give them a call, 512 512- Eight four two five zero six six. All right, DK. Real quick, I am a a little bit disappointed to not have uh, learned about Woods literally within the last couple, let's say, six to two months. Because in the last six months, we have spent nearly thirty thousand dollars to replace our upstairs and downstairs air conditioning unit. Oh my god. And so, like, we're we're okay with the quality of work so far, although the newest unit did just completely go out yesterday. <laughs> Not good for Justine back at home when it's 100 billion degrees outside. But, uh, yeah, if we'd known about Woods, maybe we would have uh, saved a little bit of dough and gotten even better quality of work, too. No kid, Maybe they can help you out right now if something's wrong with that new system. Goodness maybe. gracious. Okay. We're into the home stretch of today's program, which means it is time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism, that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are figuring something out. Perhaps all is not lost, but BK, today is not that day. And we start... With Taco Bell today, now I did just private chat you a link that I want you to pull up so we can see a picture here in just a second. But uh, BK, you were on the record as saying, and you've said so earlier in this show, that Taco Bell is your favorite place to eat on the planet, correct? That is correct. Do you have a favorite item on the menu, regular item or perhaps even specialty item? Ooh, I've got one of each. Okay. My favorite specialty item is something called the Beefy Crunch Burrito, which they just brought back for the first time in seven years. And I don't know if I've said this on the show yet, but I think I've told you this. I'm in a Facebook group called the Beefy Crunch Movement that has nearly 70,000 likes on it. So I'm not alone. Like There's literally a cult following for this one random-ass seasonal item at Taco Bell. And there are people who just have tattoos of this burrito. There are people who sell like shirts and flags with this burrito on it. And it's like the greatest thing ever, dude. People are so happy that this burrito is back right now at Taco Bell. And I am too. I've, I've been there way too much over the last week. So that's the, that's the seasonal one. The regular ones, the crunch wrap Supreme. That's uh that's my go-to. It's been my favorite regular item. And it's one of the most popular items they have on their menu. Okay, what did you say the first one was that somebody's getting a tattoo of? The Beefy Crunch Burrito. Okay, hypothetical for you right now. You get a Beefy Crunch Burrito tattoo somewhere, I don't know, on your arm or leg or butt cheek perhaps. Giant chest tattoo. 
<laughs> giant chest tattoo and you get the beefy crunch burrito every day for the rest of your life that's the hypothetical but the flip side of that is you have to end up in the uh the bad part of the uh the jewish cemetery that you'll eventually be buried in because you have a tattoo okay so my choices are i either get the option to eat the beefy crunch burrito whenever i want like it's, it's not seasonal yeah. The hypothetical is you get the tattoo and you get a beefy crunch burrito every day for the rest of your life, but then you are also buried in the uh, the shamed part of the Jewish cemetery that you will eventually find yourself in. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, Rabbi. Sorry, Moses. It's that good, man. It is that good. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> you, made a, you made a business decision there. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Crunchwrap Supreme because the Crunchwrap Supreme is amongst a handful of items that are a part of a lawsuit that was just filed against Taco Bell on Monday. And the lawsuit has to do with Taco Bell falsely advertising how much beef it offers in its most popular menu items. These menu items include the Crunchwrap Supreme, the Grande Crunch Wrap, Vegan Crunch Wrap, Mexican Pizza, or Veggie Mexican Pizza, and is offering anybody who has ordered one of these items in the state of New York since July 31st of 2020 a piece of the action in this case. Ooh. Now, I think we all understand that the advertising that you see for a fast food item is going to look drastically different from whatever item is served up to you by that hourly employee who you were talking about this with radio production a little bit earlier, could not give a shit about what that food <laughs> item looks like. Right. It ends up with the person. And right. so we, uh, we have some pictures from this NBC News article of uh, Taco Bell, the displayed advertisement versus what this product actually looks like. And uh, BK, the Mexican pizza... That's pretty shameful. I mean, that is half the amount of beef that you are, right? That one right there. That is yeah. maybe half the amount of beef that you're getting. And by the way, that beef looks like it's been sitting out overnight <laughs> for about a week. <laughs> time. Uh, is that not refried beans? Are we sure that's beef? That does look like beef refried beans. Maybe it is refried beans, but it also could be Taco Bell meat too. No, I think that's Taco Bell meat. I'm, I'm, I'm a... Uh, I'm zooming in now. My one Taco Bell experience in the last, I don't know, 40 years was when I, when I wore that Kim Jong-un romper into a Taco <laughs> Bell with you and had a meal. And uh, it, was, uh, it was about as bad as I thought it would be uh, eating a meal at Taco Bell. And part of it was the low quality of what it was that we were served up. And what we were served that day, BK, looked much more like the picture on the right than the picture on the left. Nah, the food was fine. You loved the food. It was the romper that was causing you problems. Don't, don't get it twisted. You had a great dining experience there at the uh, Westlake Taco Bell that no longer exists because I moved away from Austin and I was their only customer. Let me just tell you this. I've worn that romper again since then. I have not <laughs> eaten Taco Bell since then. <laughs> what? Where did you wear that romper? You, you'll remember this because I sent you a picture when I actually did so. I wore it for Halloween, two Halloweens ago, and uh, definitely freaked my entire neighborhood out in the process. But here's the thing. I didn't want, because this was a romper, and it was a pretty tight-fitting romper, so I didn't want my 
junk pressing through this romper where uh, Kim Jong-un's chin was supposed to be. So I put like this, this, uh, this black wig just below the lip. It looked a little bit like a flavor saver, but at least it wasn't exposing me to a bunch of uh, parents and kids who were just trying to trick or, re- trick or treat on uh, October 31st. Yeah, instead you put a flavor saver on there. Nice job. You gave yourself a bush on the romper. Well done there, sir. Goodness gracious, that's very family-friendly of you. I'm sure you were the neighborhood favorite that year. Uh, There are people who still won't talk to me as a result of that one, so probably uh, much like your decision to uh, get the tattoo and end up buried in the the bad part of the Jewish cemetery, a poor decision on my part in the end. Now, Taco Bell has uh, not commented on this lawsuit just yet. Why would they? They're Taco Bell. They they can probably just uh, pay to have it go away when it's all said and done. Is there any chance this guy wins this lawsuit? I mean, there is a drastic difference in in that one picture, and I imagine that he's got a bunch of photographic evidence that show what's promised versus what is actually delivered, and it's significantly less uh, with the ingredients, specifically the meat that is a primary part of the visual and then also the the word advertisement for the product itself. This could change fast food forever, man. Like, I don't expect this guy to win this suit, but if he does, then other people are all around the world are going to be like, well, now I can sue my favorite fast food place or my least favorite fast food place because of false advertising. And this might have this might force these fast food chains to up their games a little bit and actually make the food that they serve look more like the food that's in the commercials, right? Yeah, this just may push uh, most fast food places closer to complete automation where they don't even have humans working at the counter in the drive-thru anymore. You maybe place your order on a computer and there are literal computer arms that are back there making things up for you and then eventually tossing it your way when it's ready to go. And they will do a much better job, by the way, than a uh, a $10 an hour employee who, again, doesn't give a shit what that final product looks like. $10 an hour? You think someone working at Taco Bell is in the double digits these days? Maybe the food would look a little better if they were actually getting ten bucks an hour. The managers may be closer to fifteen. I don't know. I I don't know what Taco Bell is <laughs> is is paying their employees at this point. It's probably not a good rate. Sadly, probably still be- better than radio though. Yep. You want to answer this question before we uh, wrap things up today? Let's hear it real quick because I do need to uh, mention the uh, the great moments in excrement history too. Uh, what? Oh. F is a romper. Uh, a romper is a one-piece outfit that is uh, pretty short. Think John Stockton shorts, shorts going down the legs, and also is uh, somewhere between an actual t-shirt and a tank top in terms of the length of sleeves. I can pull out for the people whenever. <laughs> probably shouldn't oh. have said it like that. Oh, I can pull filter, out but- the people whenever I get back home in Austin tomorrow and provide a picture uh, at some point on next week's Trey and BK. But uh, it is an embarrassing outfit to have to wear in public, especially when Kim Jong-un's face is on the front and back of said romper. We're unfiltered, not uncensored. Please, uh, please keep your clothes on and do not pull anything out while on this show. (laughs) All right. Last thing real quick, BK. And this does tie into Taco Bell because, well, Taco Bell will uh, wreck a person's guts, as you probably find out pretty regularly with how often you eat there. And uh, anybody else who eats at Taco Bell knows that it is uh, going to uh, lead to some things on the other end. 
Well, I do need to bring up a great moment in excrement history. The anniversary happened a few days ago, but have you heard about the Dave Matthews tour bus incident in Chicago from 19 years ago, BK? Dave Matthews tour bus incident. I have not. So 19 years ago, the Dave Matthews band had finished a concert in Chicago and was heading to that next city to perform there. Well, as they were leaving downtown BK, they had to cross over the Chicago River, which is what you have to do to get out of downtown and back towards the highways that will take you from one point to another. And at one point, they took a bridge over the Chicago River, the Kinsey Bridge to be exact, and thought it would be a good idea to dump all of the human waste that had been uh, acquired, I guess, over the course of a, a couple of days at the or in the bus's bathroom, they decided to dump it in the Chicago River. <laughs> no there way. Was one, there was just one problem with them dumping 800 pounds of human waste into the Chicago River. They didn't look below before they did so and ended up dumping 800 pounds of human waste on an architecture tour boat that was directly below. And by the way, this wasn't an enclosed boat, BK. This was an open boat where people were essentially having this shit dumped all over them. There are horrifying stories of elderly people, pregnant women, little kids who were covered in Dave Matthews Band shit because they were not paying attention to what exactly it was that they were doing. And as a result, the band uh, dealt with some charges. I think the tour bus driver ended up facing specific charges for his negligence. The band themselves ended up donating $50,000 to the Chicago Park District. And since there was a placard placed on this bridge that uh, lets people know this is where the Dave Matthews band dumped 800 pounds of shit on an architecture tour boat below. That's a true story? 100% true. It might be the best story I've ever heard in my entire life. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're starting at a, at a high point with on this day in excrement history. It, it doesn't get much better slash worse than that. Oh, my. 800 pounds. They just dumped it into the river in broad daylight, and there were people underneath? 800 Ugh. pounds. There were... There was a boat full of people that included the olds, the pregos, and then also little kids too. Pregos, tomato sauce, prego, preg pregnant women. Oh, I should have been able to figure that one out. That was that was relatively easy. Wow. So the wow. Uh, the, si the sign that's posted on the Kinsey State Bridge says, yeah. in August of 2004 at this very location, a DMB tour bus dumped 800 pounds of poo on some people." Hashtag never forget. Hashtag always remember. <laughs> Who put that sign there? There's no way the city paid to put that there. Oh, you know what this was? This is funny. It's Riot Fest. The Riot Fest Historical Society that uh, that pinned this to the, uh, the railing along the bridge. So Riot Fest is a uh, popular uh, summertime concert that happens in Chicago. And there's a uh, very punk rock attitude that uh, goes along with this concert. And so people 
they put this placard up there, but the placard is apparently uh, stuck around for longer than just a couple of days. So it is an official part of the bridge now. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. What a story. And what a way to wrap up our first edition of great moments in excrement history. And what a way to wrap up the fourth edition of midday with Trey and BK here on Texas sports unfiltered before we get out of here. Got to give some love to top gun lawn and equipment rentals. Our buddy, Brandon Mars, great people, great guy to hang out with great guy to do business with as well. If you're looking for rental equipment for a project at your house or place of business, or you construction workers out there, if you need some equipment for your job site, you've got to hit up our guy, Brandon Mars at top gun lawn and equipment rentals. They are the best. They also sell equipment too. If you're looking to buy stuff, they've got the best selection all of the biggest brands, everything you need to get that job done. Two Austin area locations, one in Anderson Square, the other on South First Street. Check them out online, topgun.net. Top Gun, we will shoot you straight. Trey, great job today, brother. Safe travels back home. Likewise, my friend. Talk to you on the other side. All right, that is going to do it. Thank you all so much for your love. Please like this video. Please subscribe to this channel if you haven't already. And please continue to spread the word. The feedback has been tremendous thus far. We're up over 3,600 subscribers already. It's only the fourth day we've had this channel. So thank you guys for the love to this point. And uh, we'll keep growing this thing. And once again, plenty of exciting announcements on tap for the future of Texas Sports Unfiltered. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you have that notification bell turned on. So you're always informed about what we have going on until next time. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy and hook them.